You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen, amen. Take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Um, What a great uh, set of songs to prepare our hearts for uh, God's Word today. As we continue in our series, Grounded, our our message today is entitled, In Hope. Grounded in Hope. I can remember uh, just about two and a half years ago, um, Sue's dad went home to be with the Lord. And for a number of months before that, Sue would go and uh, visit with her dad. And... uh, and spend a lot of time there and taking care of practical needs and all kinds of other things that were going on. He was losing his eyesight so he couldn't read anymore. And, um, and when she would come home, sometimes I'd ask her, so, so what did you do? And uh, so she would tell me and talk about some of the practical things that she would help him with and getting things organized so he would know where they are. And uh, what else did you do? Well, I, I read scripture to him. She read scripture to him just about every time she went. And uh, towards the end of his life, the last uh, few months or weeks, uh, one of the texts that he always wanted her to read was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we're going to look at today because it talked about the return of the Lord. It talked about being ready to go and be with Christ. And that man, if anybody was ready to go and be with Christ, he was ready to go and be with Christ. But as he was thinking about it, that's what he wanted to hear. That's what he wanted to remember. And and that's what our text is about today. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we uh, read his word. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will, will uh, come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not in the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, this is an amazing text of Scripture. 
conjures up all kinds of things in us as we think about it, but Lord, the hope and the security and your love and your passion, the, the uh, thought of going to be with you for eternity in heaven, Lord, it's all in this text. And Father, I pray that as we look at it today, you would give us um, a real desire to know and a real desire to follow you more closely and strongly as a result of the fact we look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your word has to say today. Minds, God, to be able to comprehend it, but then hearts, God, that would live differently as a result of hearing your word and knowing that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Are we ready? Are we desiring it? Are we looking forward to it? Are we living out our faith, understanding who you are and all you've accomplished for us? So do this work, we pray, God. Do in this place what only you can do for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, the thought of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it conjures up all kinds of responses in people. Now, for some people, it, it just kind of causes them to freak out. It's like, let's not talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. that. That stuff that's coming, it's too sci-fi for me. I, I don't understand it. I don't even want to understand it. They just kind of freak out about it. Uh, so just hold on tight and take your seat and Let's hear what God's word has to say about it. For others, it causes them to go home and, and get their file out or open their computer and get their charts out because they got their charts all figured out and they know exactly how it's going to happen and they've got it all down and it's like it's going to be this and then this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. As soon as you talk about the return of the Lord, they become charts people. Um, some people are like that. Other people, um, it causes them to fear causes them to fear because the thought of the Lord Jesus coming back, be, maybe because of sin they have in their life that uh, they're not dealing with, or maybe they're not sure about their relationship with the Lord, and, and, and therefore it just it causes fear for them. But others, like Sue's dad, it uh, brought great hope. Something they look forward to. Something that they cherished. And we want to talk about the return of the Lord today. We want to talk about it in the context of the hope that we have and the work that God has done, and I trust it will be a blessing to you. So as we do, we need to dive into a number of things, and I just put down the first point for this message, the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, and the big word that goes in the blank is eschatology. Eschatology. And people are like, oh, we're getting into the charts, we're getting into the charts. Eschatology is the part of theology or the study of God concerned with death, and judgment, and the final des destiny of the soul and of humankind. There are all kinds of godly people, people who love the Lord Jesus as much as I do and as much as you do, who disagree about these things. It's not clear in Scripture. It's something that's still to come. The things that have already happened, are those we can kind of get our heads around and we can understand it, but how things are going to work out in the end is, is not so clear we want to be careful how strong the statements we are about these things. It's referred to uh, in our study as the second coming of the Lord. A literal interpretation of the Bible shows there are a number of important elements that will happen. You're not going to be able to write all this down. I wouldn't even encourage you to write all this down. But just to understand, there are themes that kind of come out of our thoughts that come out of it. And in no particular order, because I'm not trying to put it into a chart. Some of those things, four of those things would be the tribulation. The Bible talks about a seven-year period in which trouble will be on the earth under the leadership of the Antichrist. 
The Bible talks about a great battle, the battle of Armageddon that will be initiated uh, by the Antichrist. And in the end, God's anger and hatred and wrath are part over mankind and the earth. The Bible talks about a rapture. We're going to see that in our text today. And um, a miraculous event when Christ will descend from heaven towards the earth. And uh, the born-again Christians, those who have died, will be raised up first into the, into the skies. And then those who remain on earth as followers of Christ will be caught up. And we will meet the Lord together in the air. And the Bible talks about a millennium, a, a thousand-year reign of Christ. But the Bible doesn't make it clear exactly of the how or the when. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives us some things that I would say are warnings that we want to be really careful about that. You know what? There are hundreds of people who have made Christ is coming back on this date in this year. One thing I know for sure, every single one of them was wrong. Christ hasn't come back yet. He's coming back. Nothing wrong with studying to figure out what you believe about how it's going to happen, but be careful that your study and others doesn't lead you to, I'm going to set a date. I know, because the only way you're going to be right is if you're lucky. It won't be because of anything you did. Listen to what the scriptures say about this in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Mark 13, 31 to 33 says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, S-O-N, Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. The Bible doesn't tell us when it will be. We're told to not be making guesses to when it will be. It's really all of this is about how then uh, we will live and so our church has some views about these things. I'm going to read you our statement in a moment. But there are some major positions that people take about the return of Christ. And one would be called the premillennial view. It's before the millennium. One is a postmillennial view that Christ is coming after the millennium. One is an amillennial view. It doesn't believe in a literal millennium. The verses in Scripture are figurative, not literal. There are all kinds of different views. But in the context of where we are as a church, there are uh, some subsets or subsets that fit within the picture of what we believe as a church. One of those would be a pre-tribulation rapture, a belief that Jesus Christ will come back before the tribulation. Uh, we will be taken out of the earth. Another one is a mid-tribulation view. In the, in the middle of the tribulation, if you read in Revelation, it talks about three and a half years, and it talks about another three and a half years. And so some people believe that that's when the return of Christ will be. Um, there's another view that's a pre-wrath view, and it's, it's kind of like that view, except it's sometime in the second half of the tribulation, the Lord's going to come back. Um, and then another view would be the post-tribulation view, and it's after the rapture that um, people will be caught up at the end of the seven-year picture. So what does our church believe? I'm going to put the statement up on the screen and, and you can see what it is. Uh, virtually all of those uh, subviews fit into this and it says this, we believe in, believe in and expectantly wait the glorious, visible, and personal premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of his return has vital bearing on the personal life, service, and mission of the believer. 
We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath and hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy in the new heaven and the new earth and in the manifested presence of God. In the early church, in the early church, they looked forward to Christ's return. They were expectant about it. They were fervent about it. And they were wondering and looking for when it would come. Here's some scriptures that kind of talk about that. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand, Peter said. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Acts 1.11 says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Realize Jesus has just been taken. And men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. James 5, 7 and 9 says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives an early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In Revelation 13, 11 to 14, beside this you know the time, excuse me, beside this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is near to us now than, it, than we first believe. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime and not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All of these texts are in the early church are talking about the fact that a Jesus Christ can come and he can come at any time and you need to be ready. And that expectation ran high in the church. So if all that's true, then what's the purpose of eschatology? See, the purpose of eschatology is not to come up with a chart that you're comfortable with. That's not the purpose. I believe there are a number of purposes. I sat at my desk and worked this through in my own mind, and I thought through of, of six reasons why what we're learning about today is so important to us. Why is it so critical for us to have a strong view and a strong understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back? What should your study of the return of Christ do for you, or does the study of the return of Christ do to you? First thing I wrote down is fear. Fear. Uh, for some people in the room, even as I'm talking about this, you're fearful about this. Uh, some of you are fearful about this because you're not sure where you're going. You've, um, you don't have assurance of your salvation. And you're like, Pastor, can't we just get on to something else? Like, let's talk about immorality and how we're not supposed to live like that. I, I can get my head around that. But the return of the Lord, like, that's just a little too much for me. And, and you're just fearful in your spirit about this. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have every reason to be fearful about this. 
And so eschatology can bring us to a place of fear. I trust, if, you're, if you've never trusted Christ, it would be fear that would bring you to understanding who Christ is and transferring your trust and putting your trust in him. And that fear can be taken care of and gone. Some in the room might be fearful because of the way you're living right now. There's sin in your life and it's like, I don't want the Lord to come back right now because I would hate to have to give an account for the way I am. Fear. It can bring fear. For other people, it brings hope. Hope is what it brought for Sue's dad, for sure. Like that guy, as I said, he was so ready to go to heaven. It's like, let, let's go right now. And he had hope. He had a great hope. He looked forward to meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. The study of eschatology should bring us hope. Because we don't live for this world. We don't live for right now. We, we live for eternity. We live for who God is and what he's done. And as you hear this message, I trust that it will bring you hope. The study of eschatology for the believer should be doing some things in your life. One of the things it should be doing is causing you to be sanctified. I want to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And every day when I think about Christ could come today, Christ could come today, I want to be about, I want to live out for that. I want my life to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not like I used to be. I'm not what I will be. I'm not even yet what I should be, but, but I'm working, Lord. I'm not to get saved, but because I'm saved, I'm looking forward to the return of Christ. And I want to be more like Jesus every day. That's a, eschatology should bring you to a place of sanctification and growing up in Jesus Christ. Eschatology should bring you to a stronger view of evangelism and the need for evangelism. Understanding that one day the Lord's going to return and the dead in Christ will be raised up and we will go and be gathered with, and then it's too late. It's too late. And so your view of the Lord's return should give you a passion for people who you don't know, who don't know Christ. A spouse, a family member, a neighbor. Don't worry about your charts. Worry about the lost. Eschatology should bring you to a place of personal holiness. I want to stand before God holy, separated for him. And last, uh, eschatology should bring you to a place of glory. Not glory in yourself, but glory in God and who he is and all that he's done. And in Titus um, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And getting our eyes fixed on eternity changes how we live today. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said this. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, he said this. If, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. And when you understand what's coming and the hope that there is for us, but also the, the weight of, of, of what's going to happen for people who don't know Christ, having a healthy view of what's coming will change how you live today. Uh, but a lot of Christians have ceased to think about the other world and what is coming. And 
In doing so, we've become ineffective. We are so caught up in today, we've lost sight of what is to come and who God is and all that he's done for us. And so all of that, in some way, is background for what we want to dive into today. And uh, there's a number of things I want to see now going right back into the text. Uh, here's the first one. We have this um, in hope, that we are comforted in hope. Now look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul, as he's writing, is talking to two major groups primarily. He's talking about uh, people who have died in the Lord, and he's talking about people who remain in the Lord. And so primarily, he's speaking to believers, about believers, but he does come back to the destruction for those who are outside of it. But it would seem that uh, there was some struggle in the church, and, and these Christians were wondering, well, what happens to these people who die first in the Lord? What happens to them? Are, are they going to miss out on something? Are they, are they going to miss out on a blessing? And, uh, and so he's going to come back and he's going to address that, but uh, the reality, he is, is, is couching it all around this idea of sorrow and the problem of sorrow. You know, I, I think sometimes that some Christians think when a believer dies, we're not supposed to sorrow. You know, after all, Paul, after all, here's what the Bible says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, uh, that you may not grieve. Period. The problem is there's no period there. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we don't grieve. Go back and look at what the verse says. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. As others who have no hope. We do grieve when a loved one dies, we grieve and we weep and we miss them and we sorrow and that's not wrong. And anybody who tells you otherwise needs to go back to the Bible and see what happened when Lazarus died. Jesus cried when Lazarus died. We don't, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. So it doesn't take us to places it shouldn't take us, but rather it causes us to look forward and think about the reunion that will happen for those who are in Jesus Christ and the great hope that we have. But I love that Paul starts there and he encourages these people as they were thinking about that. And now understanding he's talking about believers. The reality is that that people who die who are outside of Christ, um, that's a different kind of sorrow because there's nothing you can now do to change that. And you have to ask the Lord to give you strength and grace and help in these days of struggle and hardship. And but it should cause you for everyone you know who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ to have a passion that they would hear the gospel. So you can't change a heart. You can't bring someone to Christ. You can't force them to come to Christ. Uh, we had a couple come and pray with us after the service last night whose mom is in the hospital halfway around the world in intensive care and her heart is failing and they don't know if she's going to come home or not. And... Uh, so this message was difficult on the one hand. Um, I asked her, um, is your mom a believer? 
and uh, you know, through the traditions of all that they've been through. But she said, my mom told me that she's put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I said, well, if that's true, it doesn't take away this sense of sorrow, but it gives you hope. Because if your mom doesn't make it through tonight or your mom doesn't make it through tomorrow, she's going to heaven. If she's a follower of Jesus Christ, she's going to heaven. And that gives us great hope. So the problem with sorrow is that sometimes we think that this idea is not supposed to be a great loss. It's not supposed to be stressful on us. It's supposed to be all of those things. But, but we look at those through the eyes of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's accomplished for us. And it gives us great hope. We're not immune from it. Uh, grieving's not wrong. Grieving like those who have no hope is wrong. And so as we wrestle through these things, we do it as people who have, who have hope. And Paul goes on in verse 14 and he says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Here's where our hope is founded. I'm so thankful that my hope isn't founded on what I accomplish and do I measure up and am I going to do good enough so that when I stand before God, he's going to be, yeah, you squeak in just under the wire, but, but you made it. It's not like that because none of us are squeaking in under anything. But, but the Bible says, but since we believe, see, there's the hope. But since we believe, we believe what? That Jesus died and that he rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That Jesus died. Well, that's the picture of Jesus Christ coming and fulfilling all of the Old Testament laws and all of the expectations. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The fact that Christ came and he was my sacrifice. Since you believed since you believe that Christ died, and if you're in the room today and you believe that Jesus Christ came and he died for you, he shed his blood to pay a price you couldn't pay, to give you a gift you didn't deserve, and you've transferred your trust to Christ from yourself. Since you believe, you have hope. You have hope of eternal life. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you don't have that hope. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be safe. It's by God's grace. It's through faith. It's a gift. And God offers it to you. And so as you think about the fact that Christ is coming and believers are going to be caught up in the air who have died and, and then we will follow and we will join with them together. It's for those who have believed. Since you have believed that Jesus died and rose again, have you done that? Have you put your trust in Christ alone? And if you have, then you have hope. You have this hope. That verse goes on and says that God will bring them with Jesus. So those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead, are, are going to come back. They're going to come back with Jesus, and then their bodies are going to be resurrected from the grave, and they, along with us, are going to meet the Lord in the air. It says, hey, it says those who have fallen asleep. Uh, some people say they weren't really dead. It was not, there's not talking about dead people. Really? Really? When was the last time you grieved for somebody who was having a nap? Right? These people are dead. That's what it's talking about. Uh, the Bible talks about this in other places when that term fallen asleep is used. Uh, Matthew 27, 52 says bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep. It was talking about people who had died. In John 11, Jesus says of dead Lazarus, our friend sleeps. 
Um, Acts 7, verse 60, as Stephen is stoned to death, it said he fell asleep. They were dead. They were dead. But they will be risen. What's that going to look like? How's it going to happen? Smarter people than me have to answer that question. All I know is God's word says it, and I believe it. And, and those who are asleep, those who are asleep. And so God will come, and he will bring uh, the souls of them with him. Their bodies will be reunited. And, and it says, and they will precede those who are alive. I believe Paul wrote this because there was a sense going on that somehow they were going to miss out on something. And, and he's going, no, no, they're not going to miss out on anything. God will bring them with Jesus. And those who are alive won't precede those who have fallen asleep. And then it goes on and says about the process of what's going to happen. How's this going to look? What's it, what's it going to be? Verses 16 and 17 say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. What an amazing hope we have what an amazing working that God is doing. I love the words that are used there. There will be a shout, a cry of command, it says in your Bible. There will be a cry of command, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. This isn't some secret thing that's happening. This, the world will know when this happens. And believers will be taken. You know, I was flipping through on my TV uh, the other day and um, kind of a brainless moment in my life pushing that button. I got a great thumb for that, man. I got a power thumb. And um, I came across a program, and Dr. David Jeremiah was teaching actually from this very text. And he talked about four things that you see right in this text. And because he's such a great preacher, he had R's for all of them, and he said there's the, the return. That's the return of Christ. And then there's the resurrection. And then there's this rapture. And then there's a, a reunion. The verses say the Lord will descend from heaven. That's the return. That's with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And with Jesus comes for his saints and comes with his saints. And, and there's a judgment upon the, on the wicked. There's, there's the return. And, and then there's the resurrection, the resurrection of those who have died and, and gone before. And, and then there's the rapture and the return. It says those who are living will be caught up with him in the air. That's us. If we're on earth when Christ comes back and we're alive, we're going to be caught up with him in the air, the Bible says. This is not some passive word. The idea of this word is the picture of, of you have a child and you see them, they're about to step off the edge of the pool, or off the edge of the deck and land in the pool. They're two years old. What do you do? You grab them and you, you pick them up. That's the idea of this word. We're caught up with them. It means to carry off by force. Um, often the notion of sudden swoop up of cannot be resisted. It's not like you might miss it. You might, no, no, when God comes and he catches up the believers, we'll be taken up to heaven to meet. It says to meet the Lord in the air. I love that. That idea of to meet the Lord is described as an, an official welcoming of honored guests. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. To meet the Lord in the air. Those who are alive will be transformed. The righteous uh, living will then join the righteous who have been raised and together in the clouds we will meet the Lord. 
in this amazing event, we shall come to be with the Lord forever. That's our hope. That's our hope. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be looking forward to that hope. Paul finishes chapter 4 with these words, therefore encourage one another with these words. Leave that verse because we're going to come back to it because he says almost the same thing in the verse 11 of, of chapter 5. So first we have comfort in hope, but we also now have the challenge of living in hope. Uh, verses, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day, of, the day to surprise you like a thief. There's about four or five things, five things I want to talk to you about here. Here's the first thing, is be ready. The first thing is be ready. It doesn't come like a thief in the night. We need to be ready. We should be looking. A thieves come when people aren't ready, when things are deserted, when no one's watching, and we need to be watching for this so it doesn't catch us like a thief in the night. And be ready. What's coming is for some, but not for others. The thief in the night is going to come and he's going to uh, catch up those who are on the earth. It talks about in, the, in this, uh, the day of the Lord. It's God's time. It's God's time. We live in man's time. We live in the world's time. We live in the flesh's time. It's God's time. And he's going to come in the day of the Lord and he's going to catch up those and we need to be ready. It's for some to be caught up to worship the Lord and meet him in the air. It's for some. It's not for others. Those who have never trusted Christ are going to be left. For some, an escapable destruction. It talks about people are feeling peace and safety and there will be Sudden destruction. When Christ comes and Christ returns and the dead in Christ are taken and the we that remain are caught up with him in the air, those who are left, it's over. There's no more hope. It's destruction for them. He uses a picture. He paints a great picture. It's a picture of, um, of labor pains. Um, about three, maybe four weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago, um, Janny and uh, Kenneth Yu became the proud parents of a baby boy whose name is Lucas to be a little brother for Ryan. And um, I was checking my text the other day about that event. And uh, he told me that, he said, I did some embarrassing things, but he said, um, he told me my wife woke me up at about 10 after one saying I'm going into labor. And at 10 after 2, the baby was born. About four or five weeks early. See, there's some things about labor that, uh, men, you need to understand. We don't get to set the clock. We don't get to decide the when and the how, and the, we don't get to decide that. It was funny when I was talking to Kenneth. You guys are going to be picking on him, I know, for a few weeks now. But he said to me, yeah, yeah Pastor, the, the baby came like a month early. I had two books I was supposed to read. <laughs> it's too late. He probably doesn't have time to read those books anymore now. What a great picture. There's some things I was supposed to do, but I hadn't done them. I wasn't ready. 
Well, that's one thing if your wife's having a baby. It's another thing we're talking about the return of Christ and you're not watching for it and you're not ready for it and, and those labor pains, they come and, and, and the baby arrives and, and when Christ comes and you're not ready, that's destruction. That's destruction. Be ready. Be ready. Will it be a day of destruction or a day of delight? It depends on whether we're prepared for his coming and the next thing I want us to see after be ready is be watchful, verses 5 and 6, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be, let us keep awake and be sober. We need to be watchful for these things. We're children of the light. We're not, we're not supposed to be sleeping this all off. It's not about our spiritual case. He's not talking about don't go to bed at night. He's saying that we need to be watchful in our reading of the word and our understanding of God's word. Are we watchful about things? Are we, are we warning people? Are we, are we eyes fixed on Jesus Christ is coming back? And are you, are you ready for it? And Because I'm being watchful about these things. He says, be watchful. We're not asleep. That idea of sleep refers to spiritual laziness and being unprepared. Oh, God, help us to be watchful. And then he says, and to be sober, to be sober. It's the verse that's talking about not being drunk. That's the idea of the word. Although he's not specifically talking about alcohol in this verse. He's talking about sober-mindedness and careful thinking and a seriousness about our lives. Is, is he saying we shouldn't have fun? Is he saying we shouldn't go out and play games? He's not saying that at all. He's not talking about your temperament and how you... He's talking about your heart and your spirit. And in our lives, we're serious about some things and one of the things we're serious about is the gospel of Jesus Christ because the return of Jesus is soon and we need to be ready and we want everyone we can, everyone who we can be a part of that they would know the good news of Jesus Christ. So he says, be ready, be watchful, be serious about these things. And then he says, be armed for this. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Just uh, last week, uh, Mark was preaching about uh, loving and living. Right? It was preparation for, uh, for this text, that we'd be people of God who have put on this, this passion for righteousness and, and that we'd be people who are loving and living for the glory of God, that people would know the good news of Jesus Christ and people would be saved. And I can't save anybody. I can't change a single heart, but I can do my part that God calls me to. And the helmet of, of salvation, you can go back and take a look in Ephesians chapter 6 and put on the whole armor of God, but this idea of, of knowing. Why do I know? Why can I stand here with the confidence I stand with today? Because of the helmet of salvation. Because Jesus Christ is my hope. The finished work of Christ, he says to them, be ready, he says, be watchful, be sober, be armed. And the last one he says is be assured. Be assured. Look at verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath. Oh, isn't that so cool? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
Those words are for you. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We're saved from a world of the flesh and the devil. Are, but first and foremost, although we're saved from that, we're rescued from the wrath of God, a wrath that we deserve, and we've been rescued from it. What shall separate us from the love of God shall no, nothing, nothing, right? That's our hope. That's our assurance. And when you think of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you think about these words, for God has not destined us for wrath. So we look forward to the return of Christ. We look forward to it with great expectation. And we look forward to it with great hope because we know as followers of Christ, we're not destined for wrath. And one last thing he says, um, we should encourage one another in hope. We need to encourage one another in this hope. We saw it in chapter 4 and verse 18. Now we see it again in chapter 5 and verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So three things really quick here. Number one, be comforted. Be comforted. The text is all about our comfort. It's all about you don't have to worry. You don't suffer like those who have no hope. Be ready and all those things. And, and you should be comforted in this. The, the thought of the return of Christ, the thought of the study of eschatology should bring you great comfort. Great comfort. We should be comforted. But then we use this to comfort one another. With what? With the hope that we have in Christ. And so for the person who's struggling and wrestling, if they're a believer, take them back to the hope that is ours in Christ. Take them back to the focus that we have in Christ. We look forward to the return of Christ. If, if we're still on the earth when that happens or, or if we're gone long, we're, either way, we're going to be with the Lord and we need to encourage each other and comfort one another with this hope. And then we need to build one another up, which ties right into that. That means to edify with the comfort we've received from God with the comfort of our hope that we have in Christ, we make it our goal, our goal to build one another up. One of the primary works of the church is to build one another up, is edification. And this is a great place for edification in the church that we would grow up in Jesus Christ looking forward to his return. Well, so what? So what? Three questions I would have for you this morning. One is, are you ready for the coming of Christ? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If you haven't, you can do that today. You transfer your trust from yourself to all the things you believed in, and you believe in the finished work of Christ. Are you ready for the coming of Christ? Are you looking for Jesus Hey, Harvest, are you looking for Jesus? Are you, are you, it would be cool if Christ came today. Now, I realize the older I get, the more my eyes change about this, right? And I, I realize I'm getting closer to it every day. I get that. But in our lives, it doesn't matter if you're 12 or if you're 82. We should be looking for Jesus. And are you living for Jesus? Is the Lord going to come like a thief and you're going to be surprised and shocked and filled with all kinds of regrets. And you can't change 
yesterday and before. But you can change from today moving forward. And Lord, best I can with the gifts you've given me and the love I have for you, I'm not going to have any regrets. I can't change a single heart, but I can be faithful to you. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. You know, my eyes came to Philippians 3.20 this week with kind of a, a new sense of it for me, or maybe a new reminder said, um, Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. See, we get our eyes so fixed in the wrong place so often. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eschatology shouldn't bring us to arguing about charts and events and the whens and the hows and the whos. It should bring us to fear that leads to salvation. It should bring us to hope because of the finished work of Christ. It should be, bring us to sanctification, growing up in the Lord, growth and purity and love. It should bring us to personal holiness because we're going to stand before an almighty, holy, righteous God. It should bring us to evangelism because we want everyone to know this good news that we have. And then it should bring us to glory because of how awesome God is and all that he has done for us. What is the thought of the return of Christ doing for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for the teaching that uh, Paul had with uh, these people. And Lord, their, um, their concerns and their fears. And they're trying to figure it all out. And, all, and then the great comfort that you gave to him. And Father, I pray that um, we would understand that your son Jesus Christ is coming back and it won't be when we think it is. It won't be when we set the plan. It'll be when you set things in motion. And so, Lord, I pray that you would comfort us and encourage us and know that our hope is not in us, but it's in you. God, do this work for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.